Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We would like to get into some listener feedback this season, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything even tangentially related to the podcast, you can send an email to Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at tracknerds.com, or hit me up on Twitter, where my handle is, at tracknerds. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This week, we are looking at The Last King of Scotland, and this is a movie I had seen before, and I would say I probably did like it better the second time around. It's a little bit of a tough watch just because of some of the violence and the intensity and what probably cannot be avoided. Talking about this movie this time I watched it is the current president of the United States at time of recording, although this will come out after an election that we don't know the results of. <laughs> but so sorry, it's for and again and and not even to be not even in an offensive way, although we can get offensive. But so Idi Amin as a personality is kind of that charismatic, larger than life, makes his followers kind of love him and his personality, but he's also insecure in such a way that makes him lash out at his perceived enemies. And that's a parallel I would draw to Donald Trump. So the movie itself, this is... I'm always kind of impressed with these works of fiction who work in these historical things. So James McAvoy is the main character, a Scottish doctor who we see randomly choose a Uganda on a map because he's basically just kind of, he's right out of medical school. He's looking for an adventure. He points to Uganda and goes there to help out in the medical field. And he's a fictional character. But he is kind of an amalgamation-ish of some other characters, or at least there's elements of these other actual doctors who were in and around Uganda at the time. But ultimately, it's a fictional character who they put up against the real-life figure of Idi Amin, who I remember I bought, I, I can't find it anymore, but I bought a book a while back that was called, like, The Most Evil People in History. Mm-hmm. And it just had, like, 10 or 20 people and Idi Amin was in that book as just one of the most evil people in world history I mean this had like Nero and Hitler and Idi Amin yeah so background to Uganda it was kind of under European control and Idi Amin basically I guess he wasn't directly a British soldier right but he was a Ugandan recruit that fought with the British army did they have that separate or were they considered British soldiers in the movie, they talk about how he joined the King's African Rifles. Okay. So okay. it's it's a uh, it says that it is uh, it was part of the British colonial army, but it was it, it looks like it's you know staffed by Africans. So basically, Africans that are loyal to the British crown, but in Africa. Right, because Uganda was still under British control. Right. And until when? When did they become independent? 1962 is when when they gained their independence. Yeah, so they were pre-colonial until the 1840s. They were considered a protectorate under the British crown from 1894 to 1962. And then they gained their independence. But then a few years after that, we get to our movie here in 1971 when Idi Amin stages a military coup and takes over. And that's basically, they kind of have James McAvoy's character, this Scottish doctor, 
arrive essentially as that's happening. Right. So yes, Idi Amin himself was, yes, a Ugandan soldier trained by the British. And then as the British phase out of the country, he now is a highly trained military officer and has worked his way up through the military ranks and just kind of becomes more and more popular, more and more powerful. And so after Uganda gains its independence in 1962, nine years later, he's at the point where when the president is actually out of the country at the time, he stages a military coup and takes over. And we see this in the movie where he's kind of talking about like, hey, I'm not a corrupt politician. I'm just a soldier. I'm just a common man. I grew up poor. I am you. I am a man of the people. I am you. I'm going to do things right and make Uganda great again. <laughs> but that, that that is, I mean, they, when he's uh, the scene of James McAvoy riding a bus, getting to his destination when he first gets to Uganda, everyone's stoked. Exactly. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But, and then he kind of just immediately starts backtracking on a lot of these things. And, you know, he basically says he's going to give the power to the people, but immediately declares himself president and it'd be kind of due to his paranoia it just becomes this slow expulsion and slaughter of his political enemies to where it becomes straight up genocide which is why Idi Amin is considered one of the most evil people in history and from the movie standpoint we see James McAvoy at first he's just kind of more of like a regional village just you know helping the poor people in this area doing the best they can and then he kind of just through chance and of course because it's a movie and this is the story they wanted to have happen he ends up running across Idi Amin's group and actually treating Idi Amin he has an injury just a slight injury. Actually, I actually forget what caused it. He like sprains his hand, punching something or hitting something. He somehow he sprains his hand, and James McAvoy checks it out, and he just becomes really impressed. And oh, it was a uh, it was a car crash. They they run into the um, the water buffalo. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And because it, the the water buffalo is making all that noise, and they're they're yelling, the soldiers yelling at the farmer, and that's how, kind of like the thing that he does. The thing that James McAvoy does that impresses Edie Amin is he grabs his gun. And goes right. over and shoots this water buffalo. And that, that really impresses Idi Amin that basically, you know, no other person there was going to grab Idi Amin's gun. But James McAvoy was just like, I need to work. I can't concentrate. So he grabbed him. Right. So, so, so Edi is impressed with his audacity and also impressed. Right. And he just kind of, he just kind of takes a liking to him. Yeah. And it's probably worth mentioning now. Let me find the quote. So he was a competent general. And he was charismatic, but they basically talk about the dude wasn't smart. He was he he was a really good athlete when he was younger. They kind of make fun of his physique and his athleticism in the movie, but it does look like he was pretty pretty good. But again, he's one of those guys that like he thought he was better than he was, and definitely the legend of how he good he was grew. And like so, like he's like oh he's a decent rugby rugby player. So by the time he's president, it's like oh yeah, he actually was like you know world class, right? Well, and and there's the the swimming race yeah where there's yeah. like all those dudes line up on the side of the pool and he means there yeah. and and uh yeah and so he's like are your markets that he like dives in it's like they wait like five seconds and then they shoot the gun so that everyone else can go okay so this is they say a, an officer so i'm guessing this means someone else in the military basically saying yeah he was a good rug- rugby player quote but virtually bone from the neck up and needs things explained in words of one letter <laughs> so not a bright man. 
anyway, so he so he he encounters McAvoy's character and is just very enamored with them, kind of just from a in a way because it makes him seem worldly. He's like, oh, this guy's from Scotland, and that's specifically, and this is actually true. So the whole we're getting kind of all over the place here as we always do, but so the last king of Scotland it does not refer to the Scottish doctor who has come over to Uganda. It refers to Idi Amin himself, and it was almost kind of a nickname he himself embraced and it's it gets complicated and i don't exactly understand it but so you get the whole scottish independence thing where you know you got they were united under one crown with james the first and anyway basically he saw himself as defeating the british he can he was so egotistical right. and kind of megalomaniacal he saw himself as he defeated the british empire for reasons and now deserved the crown of scotland because he kicked out the british so he is the last king of Scotland. Again, just think of someone who's kind of dumb and thinks they're the best ever, and you can kind of see how this is the kind of thing that would happen. But it is a title he used himself that then became the title of the book and then the title of the movie. So that's what it refers to. Anyway, so then he runs across this character that, again, the, he's fictional, so the author made it Scotland because of E.D. Mean's connection to Scotland, so it would be another reason for him to feel drawn to the Doctor, if that all makes sense. So he invites him to be his personal physician, and man, you just, it's kind of like the scary movie thing. It's like, don't do it, don't do it. I always think, <laughs> rule one, don't mess with crazy. Just everybody listening in your own personal life, <laughs> rule number one, don't mess with crazy. So James <laughs> McAvoy's character violates that rule. He, he is kind of, again, Edie is very friendly. He is very charismatic. But he's also scary, and you could even tell in his first encounter with his hand and the and the water buffalo that mm-hmm. he's a little unhinged. He just took over this country by force. Don't mess with crazy. <laughs> but he also almost couldn't, he probably couldn't have said no. And he tries to yeah. say no at first, and Edie convinces him. But ultimately, if he said no, you kind of feel like, again, Edie's a mobster. You almost feel like he's the kind of guy like, oh, you you made a deal with that doctor and you don't want to go back on it? Well, I would kill the doctor and now you can come work for me. Like, sure. he, he's that yeah. kind of guy. And yep. he's scary. And, and and we haven't mentioned yet, he's played by Forrest Whitaker, who won Best Actor for this performance. And it is a great performance. I, I It is awesome. I've, I mean, I like Forrest Whitaker. He's good in other things. Nothing else he's done in his career, as much as I do like him and other stuff, prepared you that he was capable of this performance. I just feel like he just batted above his usual average. And again, he's a good actor, but I don't think he has another Oscar nomination. I don't know if he's deserved another Oscar nomination, but he deserved the win for this movie and he just kills it. For sure. And that was probably a bad choice of words because Edie kills a lot of people. (laughs) So yes, within the movie, it's just kind of James McAvoy's character becoming more and more at risk as he realizes more and more that just everybody in his orbit is in danger. And I can only toe the line so much without just getting scapegoated at some point if Edie decides to turn against me for reasons because he's a literal crazy person who is paranoid. And like, oh man, the one scene that kind of sums this up perfectly. So there's, there's this controversy over expelling the 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 Indians because of the uh, the tailor, the guy that makes his suit is Indian, and so he he's trying to convince him not to expel them from the country. And he okay. says, "Oh, you just you just want them to stay because you want your tailor to still have a job here." And then so and then later, you know, a week later, when basically the whole world stage is you know basically calling him an idiot and a bad guy for kicking them out, he he tells James McAvoy's character, he's like. 
why didn't you convince me? You're, you're, why didn't you have me? You know, tell me not to kick them out. And then James McAvoy was like, I did. And he's like, but you did not convince me. Yeah. And he's like, are you going to kill me because I didn't convince you? Like, yep. how do you win with this guy? He's like, oh, yep. sure. Yeah, you told me not to do it. But I still did it. So it's your fault. Oh, right. my God. And he just, it's just, and he's just so, oh, his his presence is unreal. And, and again, in real life, he had this presence. Idi Amin was six foot four and had that girth. Like, again, think a really good six foot four rugby player with some girth to him who's homicidal at all times. The dude is scary. But at the same time, yeah. he is charming. When you're in his good graces, he's friendly. He wants you to have a good time. He just he wants you to be happy. He'll give you presents. He's he's very gregarious and and well, like. And they even way. show that they show that in that press conference. He's like you know smoking and joking with all the journalists who are cracking up. And he seems in that scene, he seems really self aware almost yeah. of like the ridiculous stuff that he's telling them. But at the same time, like. He's also not joking about like how awesome he is. <laughs> right. He he again he believes he's as good as he says he is. And yes. And but it all, and but it also is part of the game where how do we win this battle of the world stage and the world opinion of Uganda? It's like because at first he doesn't want to meet with the reporters. He's like, no, meet with the reporters and win them over with your charisma and charm. And he kind of does it. Yeah, it's just and, and again, as far as the movie, James McAvoy sleeps with one of his wives. And yeah. they basically because and again they don't want to make him the complete bad guy as a character, so they kind of have it. She's the wife that's neglected and doesn't actually really care for him, and Edie doesn't necessarily care for her. She's nothing but the mother of one of his kids. But James McAvoy and his, they, they actually kind of fall in love. Like they, they have a, mm-hmm. they have a legit connection, and yeah. and then he gets her pregnant, and so they're trying to figure out how to have an abortion in Uganda mm-hmm. when it's the president's wife, and if it's discovered everyone's dead not to mention the health and safety risks associated with getting an abortion in a ugandan village in 1975 right right and he tries to get this other doctor to help and it's like just by telling me you've basically condemned me to death like just that's only what happens and then that doc that same doctor helps him tries to help him get out of the country after the woman is discovered and she's that's actually the hardest scene in the whole thing to watch i can't watch that like they when they mutilate her body and yep. so she, and of course in real life, so she, again, James McAvoy's character is fictional, but his wife that gets killed for an affair, that's real. And she was dismembered. That's real. But the reattaching her parts in the wrong places, a little bit less so, but she was dismembered in real life. But the, the grotesque thing of switching her arms for her legs and sewing her back together, that was fictional. That was made up for the movie. But yeah, but everything else was not. <laughs> yeah. Like she was dismembered, but I, I forget the details. There was there was another reason she was dismembered or they or actually maybe like she was dismembered as punishment, but then put back, back together normally for a funeral. The movie's fairly violent otherwise, but that that one scene where they show her corpse on the table, I, I, I'm getting nauseous almost even just thinking about it. Like it's it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. So that wife who in the movie is the one who gets dismembered and then sewn back together in real life, it just says that she died under mysterious circumstances and her body was found dismembered. There it is. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, I knew there was some truth to it. 
So we saw we see the coup, and then they don't, we don't necessarily know how much time is covered in the movie, I guess, but pr- probably less than a year, though. It's probably just it feels like it's just a few weeks or months. And he was in office until 1979 when he was ultimately deposed. But the guy lived until 2003 in exile, which is just crazy to think that all this was going down in 1971 or up through the 70s with this guy just, you know, killing so many of his countrymen. And I was out of college when he died. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the movie actually takes place over six years. The oh, beginning really? of the movie is uh, I, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing a date at the beginning of the movie, but um, apparently the movie starts in 1970. Okay. And then the well, he did the, the coup is in January of seventy one, so it's probably late seventy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so, but the and then the hijacking of uh, Air France one thirty nine was in nineteen seventy six. Oh, so, he so was, it is a few yeah, years. The, the movie. I don't think the movie does a good job of illustrating that passage of time then at all. No, because no, it's like it's a long enough time, you know, for a lot of those events to happen. You know, like that's a believable time frame for all that stuff to go down, but it's not so long that you would have to age the characters at all. Correct. So without without having like you know dates literally pop up on the bottom of the screen to tell you right what year it is. Basically, some of those cuts that seem like it's the next day or the next week, it was actually several months later. Years. Yeah. Or, yeah. or a couple of years. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. So that that's actually worth uh, mentioning too, because that's the other real life event depicted in the movie is the plane that gets hijacked. And it's it's it has to deal with the whole Israel Palestine situation, right? Yeah, it was uh the um PFLPEO, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, and then there were also two of the hijackers were like left wing German um, revolutionary cell members, right. but they hijacked an Air France flight that started in Tel Aviv, so they knew it would have a bunch of Israeli passengers on it. It flew to Greece. And then it was going to fly to Paris, and before it, well, right after takeoff, uh, the plane was hijacked. They flew to Benghazi, where they refueled. Then they flew to Entebbe, where all of the passengers got off. Uh, basically, it was they were trying to get some uh, Palestinian militants released from Israeli prison. Right, they're basically getting hostages to get what they want. Yeah, yeah. So they so they got these hostages, and they had they held them at the. Uh, Entebbe Airport for a week in Uganda, um, which you which you see in the movie. And so in the movie where they show the separation, where they they say, all right, anyone who is Israeli or anyone who holds a dual citizenship, one of those being Israel, you go over here. Everyone else will will release you guys. And in the movie, that's how James McAvoy ends up getting out of the country. Is on that flight, right? Which again, I think that's that, that's just real, that's really good writing. And from my point, like that's a good story creation. I think that's a good way to yeah. get this fictional yep. character out of the country when he's at yeah. you know, mortal risk from upsetting Evie and me. And so, yeah, it, it's a good movie. It's a good story. It's a very good look at what was going on in Africa at the time. Uh, well, the the so that hostage situation in Entebbe is kind of a cool story too, because basically the Israelis. Uh, they rescued almost all of the hostages, I think. So they sent a bunch of Mossad guys. So like special forces guys flew from Israel under the radar, like super low level, all the way to Entebbe, landed. They had a, in the back of their plane, they had a car that they knew was the same type of car that Idi Amin drove in. Hmm. So these special forces guys rolled up to the uh, airport in this car and were, you know, unchallenged for almost the whole way because they thought it was Idi Amin coming. 
Um, and then they, you know, conducted a raid and they, they rescued a bunch of almost all the hostages. So three hostages ended up being killed um, with a fourth one who was like an old lady who got taken to a hospital. Uh, she was killed by the Ugandans kind of as retaliation hmm. later. But they rescued over 100 hostages. How'd they get them out of the country? They, they all got on a plane and left and they flew to Kenya, which is another thing. Uh, so when that happened, Idi Amin was pissed off and ordered retaliatory killings of Kenyans in Uganda. Oh. And 3,000 Kenyans had to leave the country and like hundreds were killed. But um, the there was one Israeli soldier was killed, and it was Benjamin Netanyahu's brother. That's right. I did read that. Yeah. So the prime minister of Israel today, his brother was killed on that raid to rescue those hostages. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So what happened to Idi Amin? So he was ultimately booted from power. When, so kind of after the whole issue with the Israeli hostages, he couldn't say public opinion, and everyone was kind of tired of him. So he tried to annex a part of Tanzania, which I always get Tanzania mixed up with Tasmania. I keep wanting to think, I keep thinking Tanzania is like off Australia, but that's Tasmania. Anyway, so he tries to annex part of Tanzania and they turn around and invade Uganda and capture Kampala and oust Amin from power. And he went into exile into Libya and then later Saudi Arabia, and that's where he died in 2003. So he basically got too big for his own britches, I guess. He tried to, he picked a battle he couldn't win and got his butt kicked and kicked out of power. So while he was there, the estimates vary because obviously they don't, they don't track a lot of these uh, extrajudicial killings. You're just kind of slaughtering people. They don't, they don't count them right. when you're the people in charge of counting. So the, the estimates are between 100,000 and 500,000 people killed under his re- regime. And that's in just under. A little over eight years is all. In eight years, he killed yeah. at least 100,000 people, if not half a million. And Uganda's not a big country. So what about after he was booted? So what's been going on in Uganda since they booted Amin? Okay, so after Idi Amin, the period between 1979 and 1985 is called the Second Republic. During that time, there were four presidents. Then uh, there was a general that led a coup that overthrew President Obote, which was in, so that's in 1985. So then you have two military rulers between 1985 and 1986. Then the period of Uganda that at present is called the Third Republic, which goes from 1986 until now. Uganda had got a new constitution, made the president the executive head of state, and it's, it's a democracy now. And it's this. It's been the same guy, Yori Museveni. When it's been the same guy for thirty-four years, yep. is that democracy in quotation marks? I, I, I haven't read enough to know, but um, it does seem like Uganda is definitely doing a lot better. Okay. Obviously, there's still a lot of a lot of poverty, a lot of corruption. You know, the uh, HIV/AIDS is very prevalent in their country. However, all that being said, it sounds like under this most recent president, which, again, uh, since 1986, they've made a bunch of pretty significant progress in combating the poverty and the uh, AIDS epidemic there. Okay. He sounds like, again, I guess that doesn't mean he's still not getting elected every time, but 
I'm going to call, hey, I'm going to take a stab and call it democracy with quotes. Anytime you're in charge for 30 some years and your country has high levels of corruption, unemployment, and poverty, I'm going to guess maybe your elections aren't 100% on the up and up. Maybe that's just me taking a leap. But yeah, it's it's probably a, I mean, it's fair assumption, I guess. So yeah, Last King of Scotland is an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Forrest Whitaker winning Best Actor was its only nomination, but it's okay. It's a solid film. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody, but like I said, outside of you know just kind of some violence and just being an uncomfortable watch because of the subject matter, the filmmaking solid. The director is one I'm not super familiar with, Kevin McDonald. He uh, hasn't directed much else that I am familiar with at all. Oh, he's primarily a documentarian. That's why. Yeah, it looks like he directed an episode of 112263, which is a miniseries based on the Stephen King novel um, that I watched pretty good. The Eagle, which is like a... Oh, I, I remember hearing of that. I didn't think it got very it's good a, news, yeah. It's a solid 5 out of 10, like, Roman war movie. But, yeah, nothing that jumps out like, oh, I remember this one. Okay, so that'll do it for The Last King of Scotland. Next week, we'll stay roughly concurrent in the timeline in the early to mid-70s here and deal with the aftermath of the terrorist attack at the 1972 Munich Olympics in Steven Spielberg's Munich.